The harvest is over, uh, just about, so it's time for the Harvest Festival. We really do just need to say thank you. You don't have to be a believer. As a human being, you can come to the cathedral and say, yeah, this is good. We'll look ahead to the service on the programme this week. And we've more from DEFRA Secretary Michael Gove in the week he told the Conservative Party conference Brexit will be good for farming. I think that there are huge opportunities um, outside the European Union. Plus, Colin Jackson is on the phone. He has an update on potatoes for you. (laughs) Lots of spuds. I think that's the uh, the underlying trend at the moment. The week in agriculture. This is the farming program with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning, and congratulations first to Chris Bayliss of Hall Farm, Staten Lavale. He was named Farm Manager of the Year at the Farmers Weekly Awards on Thursday night. Well deserved, Chris. Uh, good night, had by all by all accounts on Thursday. Entertained by Giles Brandreth, among others, who uh, apparently included a brilliant story about how people who are regularly tested and challenged are the most happiest in life. Well, those in agriculture certainly are tested and challenged on a daily basis, as the recent harvest has shown. So uh, that's where we'll start this week. The annual Harvest Festival service at Lincoln Cathedral is now just a week away. It's next Sunday afternoon. Alan Robson is agricultural chaplain. So um, what kind of harvest has it been, Alan? Well, it's been one of those uh, frustrating years, I think, for many farmers across the county. Uh, the weather hasn't always been consistent and uh, stop-start. And mm. But overall, I think the yields have been good and the quality has been variable. But I think in the main, it, it hasn't been a bad harvest. So uh, there's something to celebrate next week at the cathedral, three o'clock. Everyone's welcome. Uh, and the farming community will be there and we'll see the vast array of produce. And um, we have... Um, the Reverend Richard Teal, who's the Methodist chairman of the Cumbria district, uh, another very different type of rural county. But Richard's a good man. He's um, very passionate about the rural economy and he's going to be chair of the rural committee uh, for the free churches at Stanley. And so I think it'll be a good experience for him to see how brilliant we are in Lincolnshire and get a different taste of agriculture. That'd be that'd be quite a fascinating insight as to what's happening over that side of the country as to this side because they are two completely different parts of the world really of the country anyway. Absolutely, and and they had the horrendous floods um, uh, at the back end of last year, early part of this, and um, a, a huge amount of repair and damage was done. And um, yeah, so it is very different. The hill farmers. Um, of which quite a number of Lincolnshire farmers go over there to buy um, breeding stock. Um, yeah, it is very different and um, different story to tell. And I, I, I'm intrigued to see how he's going to approach it, coming to a very agricultural, cereal-based county um, in, in comparing to what he experiences in Cumbria. How do you think things are in in agriculture generally this year? Those uncertainties, you know, with the Brexit talks underway, uh, Theresa May's recent speech in Florence, uh, it's still still all up in the air, really, isn't it? Yes, it's uh, it's a minefield, really, because the farming industry is the biggest industry. Put the petrochemical and car industry together, and you know the food industry outstrips it both. But you've got governments who actually are not really quite getting it, that our food and food security and food supply and quality 
is vital for us going forward. And so we need now to be having proper trading conversations, looking at the regulatory framework. Uh, It's not going to be less regulations in the global market. Um, But, you know, we've got to start thinking not just about the farmer and farming, but we've got to think about the whole food system, um, which is not working as well as it ought to do. So global food chains are very mixed up, um, lots of issues. It's obviously broken because a billion people are hungry and a billion people are obese and a billion people have struggled to access nutritious, affordable food. Um, um, so there's a lot of issues to be resolved and we need to think differently about the food chain. So we were talking of the launch of the Lincoln Food Strategy of how do we manage waste in the food system? How do we turn that waste into something productive? Affordable food cafes may eventually be better than having food banks, though we need food banks at the minute. But how can we work to a different way? How do we try and change that mindset from food consumers to food citizens and enjoying food? It's absolutely vital that we tackle it, and and I see this as a a, a project in the sense that go way beyond my uh, time as agricultural chaplain because we've got so rooted into a um, a quite um, myopic way, short sighted way of looking at our food, um, and we need to become citizens of food. We need to understand, work out, and um, how we're going to bring our food more local. It, it's strange the world has gone on this trajectory of being massive and large and we can access everything through social media. But actually, I think at its core, petrol, petrol will go up in price, interest rates may go up in price, all sorts of things uh, are going to change. And I think it may begin to shrink our world a little where we have to think about our localities again, think about how we interrelate and reconnect in our communities again. And so with the Lincoln City Food Strategy, I'm hoping that lots of partners will get together to say, right, how can we educate? How can we support one another? How can we become, um, as already have in Lincoln, compassionate Lincoln, you know, where everybody has a place and we develop an economy which is good for everybody back to the harvest festival then it's it's a it's an opportunity to come together and to reflect on the harvest just gone but also to celebrate to celebrate food celebrate agriculture exactly and and a a fantastic county and there's lots of harvest festival celebrations and i seem to have done quite a few of them um and you know i was at an event in osgaby a farmer's dinner and there was all the lincolnshire fair there from Hislet to Stuffed Chine to Ham, and, uh, and it, it, it was great um, to celebrate. And the Cathedral Harvest Festival is open to everybody. Anybody can come, and we hope anybody f- will feel that they can come. Um, it's that simple task of being grateful and showing gratitude and not taking for granted everything that we have. We've seen dramatic climate events this year for the first time in a developed country millions of people on the move and um, 
we really do just need to say thank you. You don't have to be a believer. You don't have to uh, sign up you know, to every dot and I of belief in God. As a human being, you can come to the cathedral and say, yeah, this is good. We've got a great climate that we're living in. It's changing and we know we've got to work together. So let's give thanks and celebrate. Agricultural chaplain Alan Robson looking ahead to next Sunday's Harvest Festival. As he said, all are welcome. I'll be there. Do come and say hello. Our agronomist Sean Sparling is in fact giving one of the readings at the Harvest Festival next Sunday. Morning, Sean. Yes, morning, Sean. Harvest Festival, all again, it's a massive date in the farming calendar, obviously. It always has been. Um, I haven't missed one at the Cathedral for a number of years now, and uh, thank, I'm doing one of the readings this year, so Parson Sparling will be in the house, as it were. I'll see you there. So let's start. Oilseed rape. Cabbage stem flea beetle still causing some problems. Isolated fields now more than it is a, a widespread problem, but some of these fields are getting absolutely hammered by cabbage stem flea beetle. So if you're in the position where you have one of those fields or are several of them, then for goodness sake, as we've said before, make sure you're okay with the number of applications you're putting on and the maximum total dose and the individual doses you're doing. Keep above the law. And for goodness sake, make sure you're spraying new damage if you're going out to spray. Don't keep spraying the old damage. Look at your new leaves and see if they're being affected. If they're not, chances are you've already done the job. If they are, the flea beetle is still there and you're going to, you're going to need to go out and get some more insecticide across them. Try and tie it in with other things because volunteers have grown like bilio, as well as it has to be said the oilseed rape over the last few days. It's grown like bilio as well. And remember, once you get to four leaves plus on a rape plant, it's 50% of the leaf area that's being affected, which is your threshold for treatment. On the more backward pieces, some of the ones which have gone in late for whatever reason, if they're only at cotyledon to two true leaves, they're very high risk. And I've got a couple of those which are being absolutely hammered by cabbage stem flea beetles. So make sure the conditions are right when you spray and give yourself the best possible chance of treating them and getting a good result. Make sure you get some nitrogen on these crops as well if they haven't already had it because that'll help. Soil temperatures are still 11 or so, you've got plenty of moisture there so these crops should move away if they've got enough food. Slugs as well really causing some issues on some of these fields and what you've got to remember is over the last three months or so we've had some significant rain. I took 80 mils in September, I took nearly 80 mils in August, I took 68 mils in July but we haven't had a lot of drying weather so these fields are saturated and that is a problem because the slugs are sitting there underneath popping their heads up, eating the rape and popping back down again. So if you're going to put slug pellets on make sure you're within the rules of the metaldehyde stewardship with the total doses, the total amount you apply. For goodness sake don't go putting metaldehyde on fields with standing water and only treat the areas where you have a problem with slugs. There's no point spreading slug pellets across a 40 acre field if there's only five acres that's being affected. So keep little maps and drawings of where you're applying and the dates you're applying and the totals because if you get an inspection that's what they're going to want to see. Um, for staying with all seed rate, foamer levels have just started to increase a little. Remember if you've got crops with um, 
a high foamer resistance rating and they're good big crops, then your threshold is one plant in uh, five affected. If you've got a backward crop with a poor score, then one plant in 10 affected is threshold. But somewhere between the two, if you're starting to see lesions in more than one plant in seven, then you need to be out there with uh, specific foamer fungicide. And the earlier you go, the more likely it is you could go cheaper. The longer we get into August, uh, October and towards November is the more likely the light leaf spot is going to start, which is when you need to spend slightly more money. So speak to your agronomist about which is the best approach. If you're using Centurion Max on oilseed rate, remember you have to leave this interval of 14 days between treatments, and that could make things a little bit tricky and complicated. But I would suggest you prioritise the black grass and perhaps go when you've got a little bit more foamer than you want. If it were the other way around and you missed the timing for the cutoff of Centurion Max, which at the end of October, you're probably doing yourself a great disservice. Um, the other thing that's happening, of course, is winter wheat drilling has started. And much as I've tried to hide the keys to the tractor shed and the drill tractor, people are already out there drilling. Um, Please try and get rid of at least one good flush of black grass on black grass land before you go throwing the wheat in the ground because if that black grass comes up with the wheat, you are not going to control it irrespective of how big the cocktail of pre-emergence herbicides you use is. Um, the better the seed bed, the better the weed control when it comes to pre-emergence herbicides. So if you can roll, that's going to help you. And if you're in the really bad fields, then you need to get a good spread of um, active ingredients on there the liberators the crystals the don't forget the flupisulfuron which we lose after this year um, don't forget dff is massively important in this um, defy the prosulfur carbs the pendimethylins all of these things together we need to work out um, to get a good residual layer down and remember within three days of drilling is absolutely key because once the black grass puts its roots down and it starts to grow away from the zone where that residual band is you're fighting a losing battle already and your control would drop even further than where it's likely to be so <clears throat> prioritize your wheat drilling put the better fields in first keep those black grass fields for the next couple of weeks and try and get some black grass out of the way before you get there and despite what somebody told me the other day you can't put nitrogen on a winter wheat crop in the autumn um, just check your rules in nvz zones sir uh, so that's it thank you sean sparling of sparling agronomy services now, of course, potatoes will be among the vegetables on display in the cathedral at the Harvest Festival. But what will the quality be like? We uh, haven't heard from Colin Jackson of PJP for a while, so let's put that right right now. Hello, Colin. Uh, you said right at the start of the programme there are lots of spuds, so uh, I guess it's busy. Well, um, still a lot of things left to happen with our trade. Um, and the uh, the prices, yeah, you know, it, it is a relatively low-priced season uh, at the moment. Um Still quite a few uh, crops to come out of the ground, though. Um, so depending what the weather does in uh, in October, um, you know, the, things could change as far as it goes. Um, but, yeah, definitely some bumper yields this year. Um, so we're, we're sort of slightly paying the price for that at the moment. And it is the weather that's been, I mean, it's, we've heard it obviously before with the, uh, with the harvest. It's, it's been such a difficult sort of summer, really, hasn't it? Yes, it has been a difficult summer. I mean, um, particularly sort of obviously the, the, the July-August period, um, plenty of rainfall for the crops, um, and uh, which has made lifting difficult at times as well. Um, but uh, the, the crop itself has done very well on the rainfall and relatively warm conditions that we've seen. Um, people are harvesting um, in areas sort of 10 tonnes to the acre, 
extra yield than they were getting, you know, this time last year. Um, so it has made a massive difference. And the, and the quality are they okay? Yeah, quality's all right. There has there is a few more issues than we've seen other years. Um, naturally, because of the the land being wet, there's a few um, rot issues around. But uh, in general terms, providing they're sort of harvested in fairly good order and allowed to cure, um, that's not too bad. There's a few slug issues again, which is encouraged by the uh, wetter, warmer weather that we've had over the summer. Um, so a little bit of damage with that, and also a few greening issues where the soil has been sort of washed away from the the uh the tops of the potatoes sort of poking out of the ground so um yes there is a higher wastage level than we've seen other times but excuse me unfortunately not enough to uh, compensate for the uh, extra yield that we're seeing at the moment and what are we looking price-wise well prices there's a real big variation in prices and and it's always the way that quality obviously is is being paid for at the moment um down to as low as, the, you know, there are some low prices for processing of uh, sort of £50 pounds on the farm um, at the bottom end of the trade. But then on the top end for, for the best, best packing, sort of King Edwards, that kind of thing, you know, there's still a, a two on the front, you know. So we're seeing sort of, you know, the, the £200 a tonne mark for uh, the top end of the market. And I hate to say it, but Christmas is approaching now, isn't it, for you? Yes, rapidly coming round. Um, the the big thing that's going to tell the tale with us is there is still quite a lot of the crop in the ground, um, and so we do need another sort of four or five weeks of relatively decent weather um, to get that out. Otherwise, we may well see some of this crop overwintering, and that will make a big difference to uh, availability of potatoes. All right, let's hope that's not the case. Colin, thanks for your time. Okay, thank you. Colin Jackson of PJP. It was the Conservative Party conference last week in Manchester and speaking on Monday with uh, no coughing, interrupting, sorry Prime Minister, uh, the DEFRA Secretary Michael Gove pledged to delegates to get a better deal for British farmers after Brexit. It's something he said previously here on the programme when we uh, spoke with him just a few weeks after being appointed. And last week on the programme, you might remember, we chatted again with Mr Gove during a visit to British Sugar in Newark where we focused on the ending of EU quotas. Well, while at the factory, Andy Marsh chatted with Mr Gove about other issues of interest as well, including plans for a transitional period once we reach March 2019. Overall, what we've seen already, before, even before we leave the European Union, is that um, uh, the pound is now more competitive and as a result we've seen a growth in manufacturing exports. Um, I think that there are huge opportunities um, outside the European Union, but of course one of the reasons why the Prime Minister's argued for a transition or implementation period is to help business to prepare for the opportunities that exist and to help um, overcome some of the challenges that uh, 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 may be there before we can uh, leave the European Union and take advantage of those new markets. During the transition period, um, it's estimated or expected that we'll continue to have uh, the capacity for people from across the European Union to continue to come here to work. Obviously, um, uh, there's been some discussion about uh, registration during that period, but in essence, uh, it will still be the case that uh, people from uh, Romania and Bulgaria can come here to work in agriculture. Um, more broadly, we're looking at what the best regime is in order to ensure that people in farming have access to the labour that they need, and uh, that may involve um, uh, ensuring that workers from outside the European Union in the future can come here to help, if necessary. And that will continue after the transitional period, you feel? What, one of the things we're doing at the moment is talking to farmers um, and to uh, others to make sure that we have the right regime, to make sure that uh, we have access to the right sort of labour um, at the right time. One thing that has been mentioned by farmers is the fact that um, one way around this problem is automation in the longer term. Mm. 
Is there something the government can do to help that? Well, Hopper Adams University, which is probably our um, leading, um, or one of our leading uh, universities conducting research into agriculture um, and agricultural technology, is developing the, uh, the principle of the, um, uh, the... How can I put this? If you say a farm without workers, that, means that, that seems almost utopian. But they're, they're looking at ways in which you can absolutely minimise the need for labour by developing new methods of uh, drilling, planting... Um, and so on. And I think it's certainly the case that we'll be saying more about how we can help innovation and automation to ensure that farmers can become even more productive in the future. Finally, can I ask you, apparently there was uh, a report, so say unions, about prices oh, yes. regarding farmers, uh, mm. which they claim has been sus- suppressed by DEFRA. I don't know if you wish to comment on that. Yes, I mean, we, ha- we haven't suppressed anything. It's the case that um, advice which goes to ministers from civil servants is, is governed by a rule which uh, protects them by ensuring that they can uh, say candid things and put forward alternative scenarios uh, without fear that uh, those words and those actions will be misinterpreted. So there's no uh, hidden mammoth report. It's just a piece of advice from civil servants outlining a potential scenario or two. Will that be coming out at some stage? Well, we share all the information we possibly can, um, but what we do is also protect advice. And I think there's a distinction between... um, uh, you know the proper statistical uh, work that we do and that we share widely in order to ensure that the debate is fully informed, but also the uh, blue sky thinking that quite rightly uh, civil servants and ministers want to ensure can take place in uh, an uninhibited and safe way. <laughs> so uh, no, it won't be published. Michael Gove speaking there with Andy Marsh. On to our weekly catch up with all things open field and uh, two weeks in a row now. It's yeah. Henry. Hello, Henry. Good morning. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. What's, uh, what's the latest? Well, uh, a lot better weather this week, uh, which actually meant quite a few people being able to crack on with those final bits of harvest. Never a nice time to still have the combine out in October, but hopefully a lot of you have now got finished. But it has also meant that there's been a lot of land work going on and drilling as well. Uh, a lot of people chasing up seed, getting, getting it going. But it has also meant the start of, of sugar beet being lifted. Having a look at the markets this week, we've seen a bit of support um, in the middle of the week with the currency. Uh, And also these markets are now needing wheat and they're needing it now rather than kind of further, which means that they are paying up for it. Friday, we saw a bit of a bearish stock report uh, and strong spring production forecast. It did have a bit of an impact on the market. So again, not as high price as midweek, but still at some good levels. Domestic markets remain firm with spot positions, as I said, holding that kind of good bonus. The problem is that farmers don't want to be loading at the moment because they're too busy on the land, as I said earlier. But we are seeing a bit of a squeeze on those April and June positions, is whether or not this wheat's still going to be there at the end of the year. Just having a look at kind of the, we did see some DEFRA come out with some figures earlier on this week, pegging the the provisional, I say provisional, harvest at 15.16 million tonnes. That's 5% larger than last year. I know earlier on we were talking about how crops were going to be down with a forecast, but it has been helped by Scotland. Now, we'll see what impact this really has going forward. They are just making a real stab in the dark at this, so only time will tell. Something I do talk about, and it is important to be aware of, is the corn harvest in the US. Remember that people do import it if it's at the right right prices. That harvest is currently dragging its feet with the wet weather they're having over there and also their pricing. At the moment, there isn't that much carry in the market. So why are the farmers going to be selling the corn if they can sell the wheat at $20 more? And we are seeing that within the UK market as well, with November futures kind of holding a good level. There are some concerns at the moment. 
with kind of a wet Argentina. Remember, harvest is around Christmas time. And no, we don't really have an idea of what impact this is going to have on the corn and the soya in Brazil. But it does also continue to be dry in Australia. So is there going to be some talk, dare I say it, of La Nino or El Nino? Time will only tell on this. Meanwhile, we did see a gusk tender in last week. They were buying for Egypt and we also saw an Iraq tender as well. This is for the middle of October. The figures will start to come out on this and kind of going forward. The Russian agriculture minister also came out this week and pegged their crop numbers at 81 million tonnes towards the lower end of their recent forecast. But this can only be a good thing for us. And there's talk about um, some current issues in Ukraine as well over logistics and trains being in the right places. Remember, two years ago, the US had the same problem and it did push those prices up. So having a look at those prices, October 140 to 143. November, the same price as October. Uh, May 145 to 148. November 142 to 144. The malting barley market, once again, it does seem to be quiet, just lacking from that general interest. We are seeing more and more of the samples coming in and it is seeing that it's been a high nitrogen year. At the moment, there are meetings going on in Brussels between the maltsters and the brewers as well. So hopefully this will lead to something which will kind of help this new crop and give us an idea of what they're actually going to be using. Those prices at the moment, for the springs, you're getting between 30 and £35 over the feed barley price and winters £20 depending on the location. The FOB market, which is the shipping, has been very quiet at the moment uh, with not really many people looking for it at the moment. Just having a look at those feed barley prices, just to give you some, some bases. October, 121 to 122. November, 122 to 123. May, 125 to 127. And November 18, worth having a think about, £119. If you need to get it gone early, not, not bad figures, those. Oilseed rate, it's been a bit of an interesting market this week with the oilseed rate. It is climbing back up slowly, which is uh, on the back of the soybean, just being firmer with a slowdown of harvest over there as well, with that kind of wet weather that they have seen. Canadian canola is also pushing higher, just on the lighter exports that they're not seeing, um, and also the pressure has come on this week with crude oil lower on some profit taking, but it has been capped with production costs as well. So having a look at those prices, October 310 to 311, November 311, and May 315. Just a quick update on the bean market as well. Bean quality remains poor, with about 90% of samples being feed, quality with a high level of brewkid. Exports to the uh, to Egypt are going to be very limited this year with 90% being at kind of that poor level. Domestic buyers at the moment are, are slow especially with uh, spot periods so uh, it's a game for the hunter to hunt the buyer at the moment. Uh, feed values have been drifting back on this lack of demand and also such a high number of feed beans out there as well. Nice spring beans for human consumption you'd be getting about £180 at the moment, which is a good premium over feed, with feed beans worth 150 for October. Thank you. Henry Young from Open Field. Right, let's see what's happening weather-wise, shall we? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Today, some sunshine at first, but it will cloud over later. Highs of 17 Celsius, the wind from the west, at about 10 miles an hour. Cloudy at first overnight tonight, but clearer skies first thing tomorrow morning. Lows of 9 Celsius, that wind still from the west, generally 5 to 10 miles an hour. And a sunny start to Monday, clouding over with maybe a shower come the evening. Highs for tomorrow of 17 Celsius, and that wind still from the west, maybe west-southwest, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Cloudy overnight Monday into Tuesday with lows of 11 Celsius. The wind from the southwest, 10, maybe gusting at 25 miles an hour. And that wind will continue from the west at about 20 to 30 miles an hour through Tuesday itself. Cloudy with maybe a shower, a bit cooler as well, highs of 14 degrees.
Tuesday into Wednesday, you're going to get a little bit more windy from the west-southwest, 15, gusting at 30, maybe 35 miles an hour first thing on Wednesday. Should stay dry with lows of 12. And then through Wednesday itself, continuing with that wind from the west-southwest, 18 the high, maybe a shower in the middle of the day, but some sunny spells as well. Then for the latter end of the week, possibility of some rain, but it should be mostly dry. We're looking at uh, still a breeze from the west-southwest, maybe gusting at 40 miles an hour through the uh, latter end of the week. Temperatures a little bit warmer come the end of the week, maybe uh, 18 or 19, maybe even 20 Celsius in places with patchy cloud. That could change, though. We'll keep you updated as ever with our hourly forecast. That is the forecast, though, for the week ahead, and that is it for another programme. Next week, we'll be out in the field finding out a little bit more about just how frustrating the harvest has been this year, plus whatever else is thrown our way, as Giles Brandreth said at the awards on Thursday. We like being tested and challenged, don't we? Sometimes too much. Anyway, have a good week's farming.